And uh, so let's keep those things in mind as we now enter into the Word together and this whole concept of time. There, we've come up with a lot of sayings about time. Procrastination is the thief of time. Ah, See, when I was in sixth grade, why? Anytime I see the word procrastination, this thing comes to my mind. When I was in sixth grade, we were doing our vocabulary work, and that was one of our words, and the teacher said, there's a saying identified with this word. You need to find it out. That was our assignment. And it's the only time I ever have done this that I can recall that it was ever of any value. Young people, I need to give you a bit of history. You don't remember this. But there was a day before we stored all information in the cloud. We kept information in things called books. <laughs> and there's one particular book that had definitions of words. It's called a dictionary. And dictionaries come in many kinds and sizes. Like you can get little pocket dictionaries. Or you can get the, the college disc dictionaries. Or, as we had in the sixth grade class, we had the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, which was like about this big. You needed a two-wheeler to haul it around. You did not carry this book. It would, at a sixth grade level, would just knock you over. This book literally had its own place on a stand in the classroom. I don't know that anybody ever looked at it, but I did once. Because when the teacher said, you got to find out about this word, I thought, you know that big dictionary? It maybe has this in here. So I went and I looked up procrastination. I was so excited. I knew the answer. Procrastination is the thief of time. Look it up in your unabridged dictionary. We have sayings like, time waits for no man. Time is fleeting. One of my favorite movies, Music Man, they have these elderly women who are part of the Women's Dance Auxiliary, and they're going to put on a program out there for the community, and this program entails them doing their dance, and they're doing Grecian urns, and the lady would call out, one Grecian urn, and all these old women would go, two Grecian urns. Now, if you understand the Grecian urn with those pictures of the women around the top, you know what it's getting at. Clearly, the rest of you don't see the humor in that. It is actually quite funny, okay? All right, it's Christmas time. Bring some humor into the room, would you people? And this lady, I just never forget the lady who's leading them, Mrs. Shin, she was trying to get them to come to rehearsal, and they're stalling, and she would say, come on, ladies, Tempest Fugit which means time is fleeting. It's getting away from us here. And then, of course, there's the classic, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. Now, the greatest saying, I already told you to get a sense of humor, people. Come on now. (laughs) Do do any of you want to step out and find it out there somewhere? Do you need to dig for it in your purse? What? Where is it? But the greatest saying about time ever uttered, doesn't even use the word time in it. It's a statement about Jesus Christ and his relationship to time. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for 15 months. There's so much we've had to leave behind. 
But as we come to Hebrews chapter 13, we've spent two weeks, this will be the third and last week, that we spend on this particular statement. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same throughout all of time. Now, the writer says in verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. He's making it clear that it's important that we understand clearly who Jesus Christ is because it is in knowing Him, understanding Him clearly, grasping the reality as to who Jesus Christ is, clearly will keep us adhered to Him. But if we don't have a good grasp on who He is, we now are susceptible to be dragged away by the next curious thing. The next thing that seems kind of interesting But when we understand who Jesus Christ is, and particularly relative to this statement about Him and time, we begin to recognize everything pales in comparison of interest and wonder and mystery to the person of Jesus Christ if we grasp who He is. We have looked at this verse In this way, Christ is the same as he was before time. That's our understanding of the word yesterday. When it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. And the reason we went there was from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. By the way, mentioned being so far behind and busy this week, okay, that uh, didn't even, was so far behind getting here this morning, didn't have time to get into Jeff and say, Jeff, here are the verses we're going to look at today. Didn't even realize that until about ready to come up here. Whoops. So we're doing it old school here today. Kids, there's something called a book. This particular book is a Bible. There's one, hopefully, in the pew in front of you. Pull it out. Look in the table of contents, find the book of Hebrews, and in the book of Hebrews you should be able to find much of what we're saying here today. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, we read this about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And we observe that Jesus Christ existed before time as we know and understand it. The word there is literally eons, before he made the eons, and we've spoken of the best way I can put it to to you is of a time-spaced element to our existence, that when the worlds came into being, so did this concept of time. Think about, well, what is time? And the best thing I understand is the interval between events. That's time. And when the worlds were made, time came in. In fact, we were given the sun, moon, and stars to mark time. So whether you're thinking in terms of creation as it relates to time or whether it relates to matter, they all came in together at the same time. And Jesus Christ is the one who created this. He, and he's the same as he was before he created it. And so we said Christ is the same as he was before time. And as he became in time. And this is what we are celebrating right now with this whole concept of Christmas. That Christ stepped into time. First he creates it. 
and then he steps into it. But notice in this present realm of his existence, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1, and upholding all things by the word of his power. He said that presently Jesus Christ upholds these worlds which he has created and into which our world he stepped and took on flesh. He became the God-man in time-space experience that we can speak of and that the gospel writers spoke personally of their own eyewitness account to what they saw when Jesus Christ entered in. And he remains the same. Here's a thought, just something to consider. I just wrote this down. He gave up nothing of his deity when he entered into time space. He gave up nothing of his deity while he took on everything of our humanity except our sin. He did not have the sin nature that you and I are born with. Something to think about. Christ is the same as he was before time, yesterday, as he became in time, today, his present ministry, his present, uh, his, his present place, having come into the world and then was ascended, and even as he will be when he consummates time, when he brings time to its conclusion as we presently experience it and understand it. That's the forever in all of this element of time that is progressing, and in all of what Christ is doing throughout time as we experience it, He never changes, is what the writer is saying. Hebrews 1-2 references Him who has in these last days spoke to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. One of the things I just want us to notice, before I dig into that specifically... This statement at the end of Hebrews is really just a very concise statement of what he's been talking about the entire book. And he began in this first chapter laying all of these things out for us. That's why I'm bringing us back to it, to understand what it is the writer is saying here. It's not like he just threw this random thing in at the end of the book. What he's done, he's taken much of what he said, he's just compressed it down in this magnificent statement about Christ and his relationship to time that he never changes. So he, ha- he has been appointed heir of all things, meaning he is to receive something yet, which means there is a future yet in terms of what is happening. That's the forever there are these elements here in Hebrews chapter 1 to that look forward to where um, what, what is yet before in terms of Christ, his ministry, how we understand him and who we understand him to be. You get down to Hebrews chapter 1, verse, uh, let's go down to verse 10. Pick it up in verse 10. As he's quoting, the writer's quoting Psalm 102. He says, again, looking forever now, looking forward about who Jesus Christ is. Verse 10, and, a quote from 102, ascribed to Christ, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. That was yesterday. We've talked about that. You laid, in the, in the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. They will perish. But you remain, and they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. 
So now the writer is speaking about that time as we experience it when this creation created by Christ, upheld by Christ, then will be changed. And he says, you're going to take it. And this is, think of the magnificence of his power, that this is the imagery that he gives. This is why Jesus Christ is so far beyond anything else we might turn our attention to. And if we grasp this, we know I cannot turn my eyes away from him. This imagery that says he's going to take the entire universe as we can see it and experience and look at it. And he is so magnificent and so big in his power and so amazing. He's just going to take it all. He's going to flip, 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 boom. And he's got it all folded up because he's, he's doing something else with it now. Imagine that. Just imagine that. I mean, I have finally learned through the years how I like to fold my shirts. All right, my T-shirts, okay, get down to laundry, shake them out. I do it on the back of the reclining chair. It's the easiest place for me to do it. I just lay them face down on the back of the chair, one side over, one side over, flip it up three times, turn it back, and it can go in my drawer, and the collar is right there. I know it's a V-neck or a crew neck. It's amazing. But I have complete control of that little bit of fabric is my point, friends. And Jesus Christ is going to take this entire universe, and he is so magnificently powerful, he's going to fold it up like we would fold up a t-shirt. That's who he is. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. And you see, this creation, as we know it, will change. But he says specifically, but you are the same. So I'm saying what, what was said here at the beginning is being compressed into this last state. And the writer says, you've got to get hold of this. You see, friends, here's the reality. We change, but Christ does not. Two different settings, two different days of the week. In the course of the last week, I've had a chance to come face-to-face with two people, both of which I have uh, not seen in quite a while, and, and, or at least not spoken to closely and directly, and just a one-on-one conversation. You know, the first thing that hit me about each of them, one was a man, one was a woman. As I'm talking to them, yes, we're having a friendly conversation, but in the back of my mind, what's going on is, you've gotten older. You know the second thought going through my mind? We're having this nice conversation. They're saying the same thing about me. That I'm very much aware, as pleasant as our conversation is, they're probably going, man, Barrett, you sure did not age well, did you? Time has not been good to you. And we know this is a reality. None of us are going to escape this. My understanding and some of the reading I've done is simply that Tom Brady playing at the high level he is playing at yet in his career and at his age... Is because he's taken such good care of his health. He's just been disciplined in his workouts, his eating habits, and this has served him well. I'm guessing that I wouldn't, rec- I wouldn't recognize her if I saw her picture in a, you know, on the, in the internet or something, but his wife is Giselle, am I pronouncing it correctly? Giselle, uh, who I understand is a high-end fashion model. 
I'm guessing she has taken pretty good care of her body and her looks too. But guess what, friends? It will not last. Time is going to take its toll on each of them as it does on all of us because we change, but Christ does not. And then in verse 13 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Again, in anticipation of something yet in the forever of Jesus Christ. Something yet that is his to own. His to embrace. See, we have heard repeatedly throughout our study of the book of Hebrews how as the perfect high priest, having made the sacrifice which he made, he then sat down at the right hand of the Father. One, to indicate the completion of his work. Two, to indicate he's in a place of authority and declare his magnificence just by being sitting in that place. But here we learn also there's something more coming as part of this heir of all things in his future. He will make his enemies his footstool. There comes a day when they will all be suppressed by him. Peter wrote about this issue also in describing Christ. In 2 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, we read this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire? And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. My mind can't help but put the imagery of these couple of things together. The magnificent power of Jesus Christ who takes the universe like a t-shirt and he folds it up. In my mind, I can just envision them then going, and they burn. And all of the stuff just goes away because he's going to make something new. And out of that, the good things remain. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And righteousness dwells in that new heaven and new earth because unrighteousness has been separated from it. Where's that unrighteousness? It's captivated under his feet. At least this is the imagery which I draw, that he will forever keep it down now and it will never have a chance to rear its ugly head again. And so this change that will come when he folds up the universe like a cloak, when he destroys it with fire. It is something, friends, that we look forward to. 
Back to Hebrews. Again, this is all in here. We're just kind of looking at all, everything that's encapsulated in this, in this statement about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 10, 14. Let's just notice this. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the first thing that I want us to notice in this work that Jesus Christ is doing is to to those who are part of this redemptive work, who have responded, humbled themselves, bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, to what he has done on their behalf, acknowledge their sin, recognize they're in desperate need of what Christ offers, these people are perfected forever. They are being sanctified to that place where eternally they will never fall back into this broken condition again. And in chapter 13, verse 14, the writer said this, for here, meaning in this time, space, place where we exist and that we understand what we experience, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This new creation. Fold up the garments, start them on fire, now we're going to make something new. And that's going to be that holy city. And it is there that those who are, have been perfected would dwell. And there is there's no imperfection in it that allows for that to become corrupted. And so not only does he perfect us as people, he perfects the creation while keeping all the unrighteousness suppressed under his feet. These are the images that are there. So let's think it through. Christ is the same as he was before time, as he became in time, and even as he will be when he consummates time. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And that makes this our time. We know we will change. It's happening every day. We know the universe around us will change. But we also know the one who never changes and is seated at the right hand of the Father will initiate changes in our world. He will vanquish his enemies and welcome us into the new creation, the new Jerusalem, the holy city that we await. And so that makes this our time to hope. You're going to hear repeatedly, whether in songs, whether in Hallmark stories, other movies that are out there, you're going to hear repeatedly throughout this season this, somehow this longing, this hope that wars would cease, that there'd be no more famine, no more hatred, no more racism, no more injustice, all good and wonderful dreams that we all think would be wonderful for it to happen. But here's the problem. It ain't going to happen. All of these things are going to continue, friends, because in the very nature and heart of man, he is broken, and he is in rebellion to the things of God. And it is only Jesus Christ through his perfecting work as the eternal high priest who can transform all of us as his children and can transform this creation so that one day all these things we desire will be fulfilled, but not 
through man's good intentions or his own strength or his own power or his own evolution to coming to this higher place. It ain't happening, friends, other than through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we hope for that continuing city, and we look forward to that. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews throughout this entire book is trying to get us to understand this who Jesus is, who Jesus Christ is. This is what he is doing. There is nothing any more magnificent, mysterious, more powerful, no more wonderful that's happening in our world today. Get hold of it and do not give up on it. Because it is the only certainty for uncertain times. Oh, my dear friends, my dear friends, this is our time to hope, our time to know that there is secured for us in the inheritance of Jesus Christ as his children something good, something blessed, something eternal that cannot be corrupted. And we look forward to that. We praise God during the course of this year for a Savior who came and entered into time, space, so that he could purchase this on our behalf. We thank him for the revelation that describes how magnificent he is and what it is he will do. We're thankful for all of this, friends. And I trust that during this season, we will be filled with that hope, knowing that one day... I mean, could could very well be some of us aren't going to make it to Christmas Day. We know that, don't we? We understand that. We've had enough pain represented in this fellowship to know that some of us may not even get to Christmas Day. But the thing we can know that never changes, this is an absolute anchor for our soul, is that if we have entered in to what Jesus Christ has provided, we have an eternal hope that cannot be taken from us. But friends... The writer to the Hebrews says, make sure you've entered in. Not just assented that, gee, you know, Jesus is pretty cool, isn't he? No. you got to go past that. i got to go past that. We all have to go past that to this place that says, Jesus is amazing. And I, I am hopelessly lost without him. And the only way I get part of that amazingness is to confess him as my Savior to acknowledge my absolute need upon him. And friends, that's a simple thing. If we can get over our pride, if we can get over our sense of self, if we can set aside the reality that says, I'm not that bad. Maybe somebody else in this building needs Jesus, but I'm not that bad. We all need him, friends. So I extend this invitation yet again, that in this season, we might all have an eternal hope Because each one of us has acknowledged, I need Christ. I need what God was providing at that first advent. As Mandy played. And I want to enter into that magnificent, eternal city. That eternal hope as Mandy played in the second advent when he returns. When he folds everything up and puts it in order. So Lord... In order to take part in that, I need Jesus. And setting my pride and my arrogance aside, Lord, I call upon you as that only hope, that only provision. I ask you to be my Savior this day because I want to share that hope that everybody else has here who has entered into that promise. Father, 
by your spirit convict us that if we have not yet entered into that place where we have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, that today we would recognize our need and that today, Father, we would know there is a hope before us if we will confess him and recognize what he has done for us. May there be many here today who pray that simple prayer, Lord Jesus, save me. I am in need. Thank you for the magnificence of who he is, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.